I feel like you can't call it an NRL magic round without magicians. How would that translate in the hard-hitting world of rugby league? I think they'd be good with the sleight of hand, the yep. deft passes. Maybe um, the dummy? Yep, but when it comes to putting their body on the line, I think they'd probably get really seriously injured. We need to do something about the amount of time it takes a Sinbin player to exit the field. What about any player getting Sinbin for the Titans? We say, if you get off in the next 10 seconds... We'll sign you up to another team. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast contemplating voluntary euthanasia after hearing about Mitchell Pearce's selection in Game 3 for State of Origin. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we have a very special treat in store for you uh, because we've managed to land the signature of a Newcastle Knights legend in Robbie O'Davis. We had a fantastic conversation with Robbie as well in the show. We'll sit down again with my old man Charlie, uh, because I've got to say, uh, he's riding a wave of popularity at the moment. Uh, A lot of positive feedback for Charlie, um, which has already gone to his head, frankly. Uh, So I I took this show as an opportunity uh, to deflate that ego as much as I could. Hopefully you enjoy that one as well. But look, before we go on, uh, I've actually received a listener question uh, from one of our regulars. It's uh, Media Watch Mario. G'day, Mario. Um, Now, he approached us on Twitter and he had a question. And he asked, when will you come clean about Chip Jones, the international man of mystery? Is he really a 007 agent or is he an Iranian superior cell agent? Look, it's a great question, Mario. And um, I've got to say, this is actually quite an awkward one to answer. Because look, what a lot of you don't know um, about Chip, and this is all jokes aside, Chip's facing a bit of a, a personal battle in his life at the moment. Um, what you all don't know about Chip actually is uh, he's a musician, uh, which is pretty sad. Now, what that means is generally he's pretty poor. Um, I was over at his house a couple of months ago. It's very sad. Um, he was eating old stale sayo biscuits. Can't even avoid Vegemite to put on it. Um, you know, it's very hard to watch. So, you know, he's in a bad place. Uh, so he hasn't been able to take his usual chair uh, basically, shit broke. I mean, I don't know if that point's not coming across or not, um, because as we know, musos are just a very small step up uh, from an old man dancing on the street with his trousers around his ankles. But, you know, I, I really do appreciate your concern, Mario, and uh, thanks for writing in. And what I want our listeners to do, our core listeners, uh, or listener, could be singular, judging on the data, um, what I want you to do is uh, go onto Twitter, if you have a Twitter account, and I want you to tweet, at Chip Jones Lives, all right? And I want you to let Chip know that it doesn't have to be this way. He can get back in the chair, have a bit of self-respect and get a real job. Uh, at the same time, if you could just include the hashtag Chip2, that would be fantastic. So thanks for your concern, Mario. And look, another little thing before we get into the show. Um, now, a lot of it was recorded uh, before the news, before the heartbreak. Uh, and the heartbreak I refer to, obviously, is the news that Mitchell Pearce has been selected in Game 3 for State of Origin. Now, it was a day of mourning. It's this day and 9-11. Uh, baby the Bali bombings. That rounds out the trifecta of how I felt uh, when I heard the news. But look, I know um, I-, I cop a little bit of criticism at times. Uh, people say I'm a bit too harsh on Mitch. And look, that's clearly true. I am a little bit too harsh on him. 
I'll give you my take before we get into the show. Now, um, I get the feeling that Brad Fittler loves the idea of giving Mitch the ultimate redemption story. I mean, he's a good man, on the, and on the surface, that's a, that's a really nice thing to do, right? But is Mitch worth the risk? That's the question I'm posing uh, to our listeners, uh, to the rugby league community. Um, look, he's had more psychological damage done to him than Tina Turner when she was married to Ike. Now, at this point, he's basically a domestic violence victim. And my question is, is it fair to make Mitchell Pearce face his abusers in the biggest cauldron imaginable? And I've got to say, another concern I have is in game two, this was Jimmy's team. The successful Blues team in 2019 was Jimmy Maloney's team. And knowing Mitchell Pearce's playing style, which is to handle the ball a lot, because he is a highly involved player, um, will it become Mitchell Pearce's team in game three? So that's a concern I have. Um, how they're all going to work that out. I know that they've played together, they want to comp together in 2013. To be completely honest, I think that Jimmy Maloney is more of a half these days than a number six. Um, So will it require a shift? I guess I have to reserve judgment until we know exactly what positions um, everyone's going to play. But for me, for the Blues to be guaranteed success in game three, James Maloney should be in the seven uh, since Nathan Cleary's not there. But I guess time will tell. Now, having said all of this, and I apologise, Mitch, I'm sure you're not listening. Why would you? This would be just another form of psychological trauma for you. Um, But I genuinely hope he has a blinder. I really do. I've got nothing against Mitchell Pearce personally. Um, I just, this is coming from a, a, a New South Wales fan who still feels the scars and the hurt of the last 10 years. Um, and, and Mitch Pearce, to me, was fairly central to a lot of that. He doesn't have to wear the blame exclusively, obviously. That would be absurd. But he, he was a big part of it. And to me, uh, he, he's still afflicted. But I do hope he goes out and has an absolute blinder. I love my state no matter what. But I can tell you one thing for sure. I'm now way more nervous knowing that Mitchell Pearce is going to be in the Haas for New South Wales. Um, and, and another big question I, I guess I'm going to have to throw out to the listeners, everyone's for something to marinate on. What if we lose? What will Mitchell Pierce do then? Okay, so he's been probably for, to a larger degree unfairly maligned uh, for most of our losses. Obviously, he hasn't got a good win-loss ratio at this level. That's been well documented. But if he comes in for this big redemption story... And Queensland do what Queensland do best and from an underdog status, pull an upset. What will that do to Mitchell Pearce then? I have genuine concern for what it will mean for his career, um, for him as a person. If we, he thinks it's bad now, I mean, to me, that is, it is a huge amount of pressure on Mitchell Pearce's shoulders. And it, oh, look, it's largely undeserved pressure. I think if he does lose, he might have to leave the country. Uh, you know, just do a thousand-year Kentucky in Chernobyl or something, because I don't think Australia is going to be the place for him. Certainly not Newcastle, uh, not New South Wales. It, you can't live in Queensland, obviously. They just tie him up in the town square and make fun of him. So he can't do that. So he may have to emigrate um, to a country that we don't know exists yet. Obviously, I hope that doesn't happen. So Godspeed, Mitch, for all of the shit and stick we give you on this show, uh, mate. It's never personal. Um, we just call it as we see it, and I do hope you have a great game. May your passes be accurate, may your legs be nimble, and may your snapshots, if required, 
for the first time ever, be fucking accurate. Please. Well, look, back by popular demand, what, what do you think it is about uh, your dulcet tones that resonated with people so much? So where did this resonate from? How many listeners out there? Two? I think there's about nine of them. There's nine of them? Yeah. So. And four of them got in touch. That's, well, four. That's uh, just under 50%. So <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, congratulations. Um, you have uh, certainly improved our standing in the podcast world. Um, our hate rating is now uh, down three stars. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, there's a few topics. Obviously, we're going to roll pretty loose today, Charlie. Um, there's no particular agenda, but look, that is the show that I run here. We That's certainly right. don't plan anything out. By the seat of your pants. That's no, right. I it would. I think it'd be. It'd cut against the grain of the show. I think to have any plan or knowledge of the game. Chaos is called. Cool. Well, look, um, we're actually going to start, uh, Dad, with some breaking news, um, and that is on George Burgess. Uh, now we're recording this on a Tuesday night, uh, hoping to have this out. Um, relatively soon. Now, he got nine weeks for uh, that rather aggressive eye gouge on Robbie Farrow. Do you think that's a fair punishment? I think everyone thought he was going to get that, but nine to ten, he hasn't got a good record, has he? Well, no, I Maybe think we'll, he likes eyes. I don't know what, what the story is there. Because this is the second eye gouge that George Burgess has been guilty of in under 12 months. He did it at a test match as well. As you said, is he partial to just eye sockets? Maybe he has some kind of fetish. Maybe, but doesn't he know there's cameras on every inch of the ground? You know, Did he really think he was going to get away with that? I, I kind of agree with you because it wasn't uh, one of those incidental eye gouges. It was a prolonged divot into Robbie, uh, Robbie Farah's left eyeball. Um, and, and funnily enough, for someone that had just been gouged so horribly, Robbie didn't seem to take it so badly. I think he, he did it in a way, but it seemed like it was in slow-mo. You know? mm. It seemed to go on forever. So I thought it might have been doing what they did back in the old days of Western Suburbs when uh, the replays came first in. There was yep. an incident in the scrum with the Western Suburbs hooker and Ron Casey was famous back then as a commentator and he replayed it about 4,000 times and it looked like the man was hit 4,000 times. Oh, so the actual, uh, the number of replays uh, condemned the yeah, person. Ron Casey kept replaying it one, one after the other. <laughs> so he finished up doing about 16 weeks. He only hit him once, but according to Ron, he hit him four, you know, thousands of times. Ron Casey, he pa- he passed away, hasn't he, recently, Ron Casey? Yeah, I'm sure he has. <laughs> I'm sure he has. Unless he's 120. I think he died of uh, acute bigotry from memory. I loved him. Good man. <laughs> Good man. Yeah, a polarising character. Uh, it's probably the best way of characterising Rod Casey. Um, but look, no, it is an interesting one because I think if someone was trying to blind me, I'm trying to put myself in Robbie Farrah's position. So I'm walking along the street, I'm about to buy a pie for some reason, and uh, someone, another patron's decided to put their pie on the ground and jam their thumb into my eye socket for about 30 seconds, pretty aggressively. I don't think I'm going to be happy about that. But Robbie kind of walked away going, well... That's footy. Um, whereas I think I would have been throwing some big punches. I might not have been landing any, but I might have been throwing some. I think so. What is this an ad for Garlow's pies? Or <laughs> I never said Garlow's. I just said a pie. pie. I just thought you know, Sean Garlick's famous Great pies. pies, though. Thin pastry. They're beautiful. Yeah. Big on meat, I suppose. <laughs> so my question to you, Dad, is... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> waiting for your answer. Sorry, um, I was too busy thinking about <laughs> Don't you think Robbie Farrow should have been angrier for well, the amount of time? He was angry, but he couldn't move his body. You know, his arms are pinned. He's on his face. Yep. So he had no, He was angry, but you know. Too, what are you going to do? The expressions are all there, but part, everyone's looking at his eyes. That's all. Now, um, we did talk about this off air, but the Burgess brothers, as a trio, of course, we always exclude Luke because he wasn't good. Um, but as a trio of brothers, um, they are particularly uh, illegal, aren't they? If you actually add up all the accumulated weeks between Sam, Tom and George that they've been suspended, um, they've probably got a world record in the NRL for suspension. I don't know about world record. I know there's t- between them 27 suspensions between them. And in their total NRL career. Yeah, and Thomas has got three, so you work, do the mass and weeks out the rest. So Thomas is actually fairly law-abiding compared to George. Yeah, only, yeah reasonably. Three. three, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's run of the mill, isn't it? I mean, Mitchell, Mitchell Orbison's probably done three yeah, over the years. No, he's a clean skin, mate. <laughs> oh, he's probably, you never know. You know, it's a, it's a rough and tumble game. He's probably inadvertently pulled off a crusher or something at some point. Uh, we'll have to look into that. We'll get one of our research lackeys uh, to jump onto the illegalities of Mitchell Orbison's record. But, but it does obviously beg the question... Is there such a thing as an evil twin and a good twin? Because it seems as though at this point, George Burgess is clearly the evil twin. Maybe he's the lucky one, you know, or the unlucky one. He's, he's one to get in court all the time. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's just getting more game time because Tom's not very good. That's oh, true. You know, he's in, he's a better better player than his brother. Now, um, you you yourself, Dad, are a twin. Um, so I'm interested to get your insight into whether or not uh, you feel as though. There is such a thing as an evil twin and a good twin. And I also want to know, if that is the case, are you the good twin or are you the evil one? Don't start me on my evil brother. So does that answer your question? <laughs> is it start in the womb? Is it, is it a matter of sort of like tussling around, um, you know, for the placenta or something like that? Is that how early it starts? Mate, the brain wasn't working in the womb. Are you for real? I don't know. Sometimes it's not working for me at, in my 30s. Well, I always thought my brother was, uh, I think it was a mix-up at the hospital because he completely looked completely different to me. He had dark hair, I had blonde, and all the rest of the cousins had blonde, but you do them, you f- go and figure out. But I've always said there was a mistake and they got him from the Italian section. <laughs> the Italian section, like there's a deli of babies. Well, They've gone, I'll have the Cabanossi and uh, the really dark-skinned baby, please. Well, I have blonde hair. Curly, you're dark and a big tail at the back. There you go, figure. Well, here's the question, Dad. In terms of your parents, um, you may have been the one that was like brought in as a, a kind of rookie. Uh, rookie. <laughs> you know, maybe you were the ring in, is what I'm saying. Is there a chance? I mean, were your family generally fair skinned or did they all look Italian? Well, as I said, most of my cousins are a bit like me, but my brothers are. Completely different. So your twin was the outlier. And I'm assuming you're kind of angling at the fact that he was the evil one and you were the good one. That's right. He cost me a beauty contest and I haven't forgotten it. <laughs> How did that happen? Oh, we were parading around. I looked a million dollars and he was walking around with his straight hair and his pigtail and we come second. This is amazing to me. This is a revelation. So how long were you in the beauty pageant industry for, <laughs> Dad? <laughs> <laughs> this is all news to me. No, Are you a sort of like an older version of Joe Benet Ramsey? I mean, how long have you been doing this for? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> it was one. I can't even remember it, but I remember the photographs. Were you ever wearing a tiara? This is the, these no, are the questions that are going to be vexing for me from now on. 
No, no, you're being silly. Okay. Don't, boys don't wear tiaras. We <laughs> look. I had a funny looking nappy with a number on. <laughs> oh, to be a fly on the wall during the childhood, Dad. Um, but look, we'll probably move on from the Burgesses. Uh, there's another a really interesting story I was reading, at, uh, reading about during the week, and I needed to get your opinion on it, Dad. I'm not sure if you're across this or not. Uh, but in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, rugby league has finally been recognised as an official sport. Is this going to be a case now that we're going to start channeling young talent from the streets of uh, what was formerly known as Zaire, uh, and we might just have an influx of Africans who are very good at the game? It, it's a very exciting time. Would you, if you were given free tickets to go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo and watch a rugby league match, would you do it? That's a good question. Maybe I will, but I believe there'd be a lot of headhunting going on over there. But uh, you so mean literally headhunting? Literally, both ways. Or just being like well, offered a really good job on LinkedIn? Down in Congo, in the Congo, yeah, I'm sure they, yeah, they'll be uh, taking people's heads off. <laughs> so I'm very interested. Uh, where have you got your knowledge of? Uh, <laughs> this country from i take it you've really got to grips with their political system you know about their social uh, eccentricities and you've come away with they're all headhunters growing up watching old tarzan movies don't don't be silly of course i know they're headhunters take your head off <laughs> that's where i've taken all my cues on africa johnny weissmuller yeah he, he was my he was my god <laughs> but to say that but we got enough islanders anyway from uh, from the Pacific Ocean playing the game anyway. What do we want to go to the Congo for? Isn't it just more talent, though? That's a good thing, isn't it? Oh, I suppose so, but then it's uh, it's weakening our own homegrown talent. Why is that? Well, they're not going to get a game because they're, big, they're bigger and they can run Oh, because they're better. Well, that's a good not thing. Not necessarily so, better, but they're big. They're big units, aren't they? They are big units. And I guess in junior footy that's an issue because, uh, you know, a Polynesian kid tends to be a lot bigger than an Anglo kid. Well, he's bigger than me. You know, I was watching a game the other day. The eight-year-olds are bigger than me. <laughs> so they should, they've got to go back to the old days when I, when I was growing up. Actually, we had weight scales back in the, in the late 50s when everyone's the same weight. Go figure. Now these island boys are twice the size, three times the size of Anglos, and uh, there's no weight scale. So it's crazy. So you think we should go back to weight for age? Should be should be the weight. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you, but we have drifted from the old uh, formula, formerly known as Zaire country. I think rugby league should have um, you know lines in the water everywhere. Be nice to be. In fact, I'd like to see us uh, fishing for talent in Iceland. I don't care where we go. The, the rugby league needs to rule the world. Kind of in a, an, I guess a nice version of ISIS. You know how ISIS wanted to rule the world. But I want it to be the NRL, and we would obviously be a lot more benevolent um, and far less beheadings, um, unless, of course, Todd Carney somehow became president. That's a bit crazy. You just mentioned Iceland and Congo. What, what, what are you going at? <laughs> what are they have ice blocks for heads over there, will they? All right, we're going to get on to some uh, more relevant rugby league topics, Dad. And uh, one of the big things, obviously, State of Origin Game 3, it's uh, happening Wednesday week. New South Wales have firmed into uh, hot favourites after the back of their Game 2 performance. But the big controversial moment in terms of Blues selection is no David Clemmer. Now, he came back and had a... He obviously had probably our best player in Game 1, got injured, has been out, came back last weekend, I thought played a blinder uh, back from injury, and Freddie has decided to not go for him. Um, What are your thoughts there? Do you think that's a good or a bad move from Brad Fittler? 
I think it's a bold move. I think he's stuck with the winning with winning team, and uh, so full marks to him. You know, even I know Clement came back, but he he did win the the game, but he was in the losing game, the first one. Mm. So, and he's just stuck with it. You know, that was his teammates actually putting him out. That's true, but I guess that guy's—he's just Safidi's just come into the team, hasn't he? I mean, surely he can wait his time, and they put Clemmer back in there. Well, it's a bit crazy because he played in a winning team, so and then you got Clemmer. I don't know. There well, I'll just take—I want to take that philosophy one step further. So I'm going to go back in time. It's 1986. Um, Wally Lewis had a blinder in game one, but he's done a thumb injury, so he's out for game two, and then Queensland's won in game two. Does that mean you don't take Wally Lewis into game three? Oh, bad luck, Wally. <laughs> it just seems odd to me. I think you take your best 17, you know, regardless of who's won and who's lost. If you're going to rate individual performance, surely David Clemmer finds a spot somewhere. Well, Fittler's always been out there, even with the controversy over the second, second team anyway, so... Yeah, largely a beat-up, wasn't it? touch about it. Yeah. I think we said, actually, on the last show um, that it was a, a, good, a much better team that we'd picked for Game 2. Um, when right. we're both reasonably confident. Did, I guess uh, I'm assuming you didn't see a, a, ba- a blowout score like that happening in game two. I certainly didn't. No, I didn't see the score. But with the rain, I thought I think I might have said we win by about eight. Uh, with the rain, they played uh, dry weather football. Mm, just the whacked a zero on it, one by 80. Yeah, they just. I think the, the score wasn't as close. Wasn't It shouldn't have been a blowout. It was a bit tighter than what the score's. Um, indicated. Mm. What about Tommy Turbo, Dad? He had a he had an absolute mammoth game. Is he one of those players that people have underestimated? That you know, everyone's thought he's he's good, but maybe they weren't aware that he could go to this level. I, I don't. I think I might be a part of that. I don't. I didn't think he could be this good. I, I thought he was coming back. He's only sat playing his third game. He's always been a brilliant player. His best position is fullback, and he but he just uh, he blew everyone's out of the water with his performance. The other unsung player was uh, Tyson Brazil. Yeah, Brazil had a great he game. He had a sensational game. You know, the best I've seen him play. And he and he's done all that with just one testicle. Because you know he had one of them removed, I think, earlier in the year. You're getting off the game. I don't know what you're talking about anatomy for. But I'm saying, ahead. would he have been better with both of them? You'd have to ask Tyson about that. <laughs> um, the other big uh, talking point, Dad, is actually about uh, Nathan Cleary. Now, he's uh, racing the clock to be fit for game three. Um, you know, this whole syndesmosis versus a sprained ankle. I mean, everyone turns into a physiotherapist, I find. You can have someone that can barely string a sentence together at the pub, and yet they're now diagnosing injuries in sort of the same speak as an osteopath. It's, it's a very concerning thing for me. But um, what they're saying is he's a big chance of making it, about 80-20. Regardless, would you take a risk and have Nathan Cleary in your team, or would you prefer to go with another half? Well, don't ask me to pronounce that word he just said. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it's a big, it's a debate. Um, I've always be- believe if he's not a hundred percent, he don't play. So if he's 80, 85 percent, he doesn't play. So uh, there was a thing on that in the second half when he was um, off that uh, New South Wales put on twenty to nil. Is that right? Yeah, when he didn't come back on. So, but the floodgates did open, didn't they? In the back end of the game. Yes, but he wasn't on the field. True, so. but you know that's like one of those correlation causation things, isn't it? Is it the fact that you know Queensland just capitulated and it just happened to be 
when Nathan Cleary went off. I actually thought he was probably having his strongest origin game up until he got injured, even though he wasn't setting the ground on fire. Um, by his origin standards, I thought it was probably his best game. I thought, was, I thought he was dynamic in the first half, but mainly with his defence. He was aggressive. Yeah. He was aggressive in defence and, gre- and aggressive with his running. But his defence, he improved 300%. Yeah, I agree with that. If, if for example, uh, Nathan Cleary wasn't cleared to make it back into the team, I want to tax your brain again, Dad. What are you doing about the number seven? Who are you putting in there? I think Jimmy Maloney have to go to seven and probably put Wade Graham at five eight or Jack Whiten. Yep, they're the two options being de- de- discussed. I've noticed. Now, if you put Wade Graham to five eight, though, are you losing that kind of dynamic impact off the bench? He was so good off the bench in game two. You are to a degree, but he's such a good footballer. I think it uh, doesn't matter if he comes off the bench or t- as he's on the run on side. Now, um, on that same topic, Mitchell Pearce, he's been mentioned. Uh, now, the, <laughs> he came out during the week uh, rather angrily. He was very upset, Dad, because uh, the rumour had gone around that uh, Mitch had been faking injuries. Uh, every time he was potentially available in game one and two, um, he very conveniently had an injury. Um, do you believe in this? Do you think uh, Mitchell Pearce is faking injuries to not get the pressure of the cauldron? Because he has come out and said that's, that he's rubbished the claim and said, I'm ready for game three if you need me. I, I, thank God he's not going to get... I hope he doesn't get picked. And he hasn't been picked. There's a bloke who played last week and he failed a flying touch and two free kicks. So he just hasn't... To me, I'm glad he's not playing. But in Mitch's defence, the sideline, it's a tough target, isn't it, when you're kicking for it? Um, you know, I mean, to find it, you have to have absolute precision. Yeah, especially when you're going, trying to gain 80 metres. All you do is kick the body ball out. <laughs> what would your... Say, let's play the uh, devil's advocate here. Say Mitchell Pierce gets picked. How confident would you be that we'd go on and win the game? Not with Mitchell playing. We'd go, we'd go down about three out of ten. Now, people have a go at, at – I, I think people have even criticised this podcast, uh, Charlie, um, for being too too harsh on, on Mitchell Pearce. People think it's misplaced criticism and it's not all Mitch's fault. And, and that's a part of that's true. But certainly a part of it is he has consistently failed to rise at key moments in big games. Exactly. And, right. look, we're Roosters fans, so, you know, you tend to look at your own team a bit more closely than others. And we felt the same way in and 80% of big games – Mitch Pierce would do pretty bad things at key moments or go missing. And I think he did that at Origin. That's just, you know, my personal opinion. What what do you think's driving that? Why what's the difference between someone like Mitchell Pierce and, say, Cooper Cronk, who seems to rise in those moments? What's what's going on there? Well, I think it's a difference between the two players. Cronk's a professional and poor old Mitch, he seems to panic when the pressure's on and I think he's a bit robotic when he plays, especially when I was watching many times for the Roosters. He'd be passing to Boyd. He'd have five players outside him. He'd see Boyd Courtner. He'd keep passing to Boyd Courtner all the time. Yeah. All that. He seemed to panic when the more, if he had an overlap and he had more players, his brain didn't seem to get around it. So he still passed to the same player. Which is a shame, right? Because his (coughs) skill set, if you're just going to go on skill set, the guy's fast. The guy has a bullet pass left and right. He can kick a ball a fair way. But he just lacks the sort of, I think, the finesse of some of the other halves. You know, the, um, the subtle plays, you know. Um, 
even we've even talked about it before. Sometimes he plays a bit too far before the line. Even if he has a really good step, it's probably manifested this year. He's pl- he's played the. Be fair to him. He's played the best I've seen him play in his whole career. Mm. Consistently, normally he played one or two games, and then for the Roosters, and then the next three would be shocking. I've, he used to disappear. He played a brilliant first half for the Roosters. The second half, different player. Where was he? It's not the same player as he was in the first half or the second half. Yep. So, but he, so he wasn't consistent like the great players in both halves. No, and in fact, in my view, he really had a half uh, of football that was that was very good. He used to string together good minutes. Um, he was more of a minute man for me. He'd have a good three minutes there, um, a good 30 seconds there, um, and then he'd be bad again. You're, you're right, because funny thing, when he used to score early for the Roosters with the big step, and that was the warning sign. He wouldn't side him again. Mm. So he, he, in his mind, he said, I've done my job, I've scored the try. And he, that was very strange for a player to just disappear after scoring a try. Yep, it's odd time. So I certainly hope, uh, like yourself, Dad, that he doesn't get picked, but I guess time will tell. I, I'm getting a feeling that uh, Nathan Cleary will be fit and he will play. He's got, I think because he's, um, he almost looks like he's a cyborg, you know, like he's been cloned um, from one of Nathan Cleary's ear hairs. Um, and so he's almost got these robotic powers of healing. Um, so I'm pretty sure he'll be fine. Even if he can't get over the sprained ankle, I think he'd just grow another ankle and run on with that. Now you're being a bit crazy here with his cyborgs and growing ankles. He's sort of like, uh, I, I think he's the result of some kind of advanced stem cell technology, Nathan Cleary. There's something not right about him. And I, I'm going to start with his chin. It's unusually angular. That's all I'm saying. Um, but we will move on from Nathan Cleary. We need to talk about Tariq Sims. Are you a fan of Tariq Sims, Dad? Yeah, he's, he's a good player. Yeah. Solid player, he's isn't he? He's a solid. big unit. He's aggressive, yeah. Well, yeah. And people weren't writing home about him in, in game two, but I actually think he's one of those big bodies that helps coming off the bench. Uh, but he's in trouble, and I think we're going to find out tonight, because uh, tonight is Tuesday night, uh, whether or not he gets cleared for his shot on Michael Morgan. Now, I have to put this out there. I, I think it's a joke that he's been cited for that. I didn't think it was late or high. Are, are we starting now um, to go too far in trying to protect halves? When, when a half runs right into the line like Michael Morgan did and then passes, surely he's risking a hit if he's running at the line like that. Well, that's right. He's putting his body on the line. But I looked at that like you, and he wasn't even looking at him. He was looking sideways. So I think I'd be very surprised if Terry does any time over this. He hit him, and mm. he wasn't even looking at him. It's where we're solid. going, though, Dad, aren't we? We're going down the road of... I'm all, I'm all for protecting halves from dog shots. We don't want to see those. The Adam Blairs, mm. as we refer to them. Um, but when it comes to actually having a, a half been able to run almost with impunity at the line, we don't want to see that either, do we? I mean, you know, the brave halves do run at the line, but they, they run knowing that they might cop a shot every now and again. They cop a shot as long as it's not a not a cheap shot. Exactly, he passed the ball. It's just if he runs the line, he's, he's risking his body. And I got to say, I mean, people are going to you know accuse us of bias, I'm sure. But Hargraves got suspended over that shot on Ponga, which I'm still convinced it would certainly wasn't high, and it was marginally late at best, and he got two weeks. Yeah, he wasn't injured either. 
No, all I mean, Ponga did have a bloody nose because I think because Hargraves landed on top of him, and that's just footy though. You know, he <laughs> that happens. It. Never saw it. <laughs> Got those tricolored glasses on again. But I, I'm just saying, I think that's the mindset of the judiciary that they're definitely going to take a harder line on protecting halves. And so I'm worried about Sims missing this game. And if he does, that'll mean David Clemmer will come back into the team. Apparently, he's the on the cusp. And the other person who's on the cusp is uh, our man Clint Gutherson. He's really he's the 18th man. He's if Nathan Cleary can't make it, the big the big call is that Gutho will probably come onto the bench. Um, what are your thoughts on Gutho? Gutho's a great player, but I'd hardly call him a utility player. But uh, it's a it's a weird call. I don't know where he came from. Where would you play him if you had to? I wouldn't play him. <laughs> He'd be the bus driver. You can well, you can drive us there, Gutho. Don't, um, don't and make if it you ridiculous. like. <laughs> you can give Damien Cook a foot massage, uh, but then you need to leave. Well, he's a good player for the Earls, Gutho, but I think it's a bit too soon for him, and especially being on the bench. No, doesn't no fair him. enough. Um, and a huge blow for the Queenslanders again, Dad, to stay on state of origin. Caelan Ponga is out. He is not going to be playing. And uh, Kevin Walters has named a team with Corey Norman in it, which who would have thought we'd see the day where Corey Norman um, of WhatsApp fame... Um, who has been recorded uh, doing all sorts of things uh, from, you know, uh, lines of coke, going out gambling with bikies. Here he is wearing a Maroons jersey in Game 3, the Cauldron in Sydney. How's he going to go? I think it's great news for New South Wales. Bring him on. Will, it, will he measure up? Because he's actually, by, by his standards, he's had a pretty good year this year. He's, um, I know that the, the, the club is struggling. Um, the Dragons haven't been going particularly well, but Morgan's got them home in, in about three or four tight games by himself, a couple of times of snapshots. You mean um, Norman? Yeah. So, I mean, by his standards, he's actually playing pretty well. Do you think he'll stand up or will he be crunched? I don't think he's playing that, that all that well. I've watched it quite a few times. He, he just sort of disappeared from, from the game at times, you know. Mm. You've never been a fan of poor old Corey. <laughs> you're, you're putting words in my mouth again. <laughs> And uh, predictions, Dad. It's time for some prophecy. How do you see Game 3 going? Um, it's in Sydney. We do look like we have the team to do it. Queensland look weak. But as we know, in origin, when Queensland look at their weakest, they're at their best. And that's a little bit that worries me. They, they, they might be a little bit... Um, they worry about that. They, they dropped poor old Dylan Napper. That was one of their best players. Not, sorry. I was only joking there. I wish he had a blade. Yeah, I know. I've got to say, I'm pretty sure I saw Dylan Napper in game two ordering an Uber Eats at one point. He was very distracted. Um, he didn't decide to turn up and, pl- and actually ruck up the ball at all. Remember that big claim he made leading into game two that even with his broken wrist um, that he would be the pack leader? I mean, he was just lying, wasn't he? It was a big big call because he's not a pack leader even with a good wrist. I know. Do you know what they should have done? I think that this should be a rule that they mandate where uh, any forward that's struggling for form, like Dylan Napper is, um, they allow him to come on the field with nunchucks. Just one nunchuck each for every forward that's not averaging the metres that they should. And, you know, in the same way horse racing have handicaps, you know, with the weights. I think that maybe rugby league could benefit from a handicap system. Yeah, you're going a little bit crazy. Are you talking about horse racing? We're using batteries in the whips, or 
Well, you know, they have the weight on the horse. You know, the better horses get weighted down more. So maybe that, you know, with the, the lesser forwards, they get armed uh, with sort of medieval weapons. You're digressing. I thought this was a, a serious conversation, but nunchucks. You, well, it's you, really serious. You're losing the plot. How many beers have you had? It's, a very, it's very, very rarely serious. Um, I want your predictions, Dad. Scores for game two. Sorry, scores for game three. Um, again, it's all come down to cynical betting. I need you to let the listeners uh, go to sports bet, put on the multi. What are you choosing? Is that listeners or listener? It, well, I don't know. They may have tuned out by now, but we'll find out. What do you think the score will be? I, guess, uh, I think the Roosters... Uh, not Roosters, oh, I got off my head. Uh, the Blues, just, just for, listeners, do not put a multi on the Roosters winning origin. Please don't do it. You're throwing your money away. The Blues will win, but it won't be the big avalanche like they did in the second. I think they win by about 10. 10 points. Yeah. And who will be first try scorer? Wade Graham. And who will be man of the match? Tyson Brazil. Wow, imagine that multi. Do you know in the weird world of betting, Dad, and I'm certainly not advocating it, gamble responsibly, everybody. Um, but the thing you can do, I've noticed, you can do futures betting, and they're already betting, letting you bet on the Clive Churchill, right? So you don't even know who, which teams are going to be in it. So imagine you put down, um, I don't know, you put uh, Tyrone Roberts. I mean, I think you'd be at a million to one because A, the Titans have got to make the grand final, which I think is statistically impossible. But then even if they got there, he has to be man of the match. So it's an unusual thing. So even for good players, you can get like 100 to 1 shots on uh, you know teams that are running about 7 for 8. If they have a run, get into the grand final and then that player plays well, you could buy a house on the back of that. It sounds like a real mug butter <laughs> an analogy. You finish up with your old pockets hanging out. Hey, I'm not saying stake a thousand dollars on it, but maybe put five. You put the rent money on it. That's what used to happen in the old days. You know, I wonder what would happen. You know, if you had an inside word that a player was about to do a swap. So say it's, um, you know, we'll stay with Tyrone Roberts, and and he's about to swap to the Melbourne Storm. So you put a thousand dollars on him now, and then when he swaps to the Storm, he has a realistic chance of making a grand final and maybe becoming man of the match. It's a, it's a far out suggestion. Poor old Tyron. He's got a poor old rough head, isn't he? He has an unusual head. Do you know who he looks like? He looks like Brandon Smith. They've both got those heads that look a bit inflated, like someone's attacked them with a bicycle pump. It looks like a horse I backed last week, the beaten favourite. <laughs> but he's a pretty, pretty bloody good player, though, Roberts. He has his moments. Yeah, he's yeah, got a great yeah. skill set. He blinks a lot, though, doesn't he? He's a big blinker. Can you tell the listeners, Dad, this is the, I love this part of the podcast where I can actually drill down into your own eccentricities. Can you tell the listeners why you don't like the amount of times that Phil Gould blinks during any interview? Every time, just so people at home obviously won't know this, but every time Phil Gould appears on television, um, Dad goes, go ahead, mate, blink some more. And I've never noticed him being a big blinker. But it seems to really irritate you. Can you explain why it irritates you so much? Probably number one, I don't like the bloke, but <laughs> I do look at him closely, and he does. He blinks at various different stages. Sometimes it's slow, and other times it's fast. I'm sorry, I'm not going off your head, but this is what I've uh, observed. Okay. Well, we haven't established you're not going off your head I just the, yet. Sorry, I hate the slow blink too. 
So what what is it? So you think he has inconsistent blinking? So it's sometimes rapid and sometimes slow. I'm not like a racehorse with the blinkers on. I'm telling you, he does blink differently. And, and he's blinking aside, Dad. Why don't you like Phil Gould? You said you don't like the bloke. What is it about him you don't like? Because I don't mind Gus. I think it's just his demeanour. He fancies himself. That's all. You know, look at me. Look at me. Just never been a fan of him. What about as a player? Very average. Very <laughs> don't start on as a player. <laughs> Throw the odd good pass, you know, but not work rate, pretty low. Now, Dad, you've been following the rugby league for a long time and uh, obviously well before I was uh, brought into the game and, and started watching it. In terms of like, I guess, going back, say, 60s, 70s, who was the best fullback you think you've ever seen play the game in that era? So take away the modern fullbacks. In the 60s and 70s, who do you think the best number one was running around? Or well, probably wouldn't have been number one back then. The two best fullbacks I've seen was Chang Langlands and Russell Fairfax. Okay, that's interesting. And and would you have a f- uh, preference between the two? I love Russell because of his flair. Uh, Chang with his great sidestep, sensational player, but Russell's the flair. He's just in an area which they hated. He had the long hair. They called mm. him fairy. They tried to kill him. But uh, he persevered and he, he overcome them all. So it was, just, his hair out. it was just raging homophobia back then, was it? Well, they just didn't like his long hair, I suppose. Yeah. It was an era in the 70s with his yeah, long right. hair, but same as Hubert. But he had the best, the best flair I've ever seen from a fullback. So am I right in assuming that um, in that famous, was it 75 grand final, St George Roosters, would that have been Langlands v Fairfax in that game? Were they both no, at Fairfax fullback? Fairfax didn't play. He didn't play that game. He was injured. Ah, who played fullback for us? Because wouldn't we win like thirty-eight nil or something crazy? Yeah, good question. I know Mays um, set up the first try. Um, I'm not sure. I think Schubert did play fullback. Okay. Do you remember where you were watching that game? Because that's one of the Roosters' proudest moments. Television. Uh, f- you what? Sorry, you were watching it's on TV. Okay, and do you remember we which TV set you were watching, or were you just watching a random one for a window? Probably an old 21 inch, 21 inch back in the old days. Wait, at the grandmother's place. Okay, cool. I definitely didn't need the specifications for the individual TV set you were watching. Um, I don't need brand names. I just I was interested I didn't to know say if you. Were... I just said inches twenty one. <laughs> Fair enough. And back then it would have been very different, right? Because obviously you didn't have high def. So you would have been watching, I guess, silhouettes running around on the screen, wouldn't you? Not really. It's just normal. I listened to Rex Mossop, as a matter of fact, I think. He's the one who broadcasts it. Yeah. And and in terms of how much the game's changed, Dad, it, I mean, there's obviously a lot of great things that's happened, you know, in, in the modern era. The skill sets, um, you know, for wingers, for example, are amazing. Um, but is there stuff about the old game that you miss? Is there stuff that you wish they could, we could bring back? Yeah, that's a good question. But um, I think it's the playing off your head, the top of your head in the old days, more so than this regimentated game, which that's another reason why I didn't like Google because it was just like a game of chess. Rugby league's not, it shouldn't be a game of chess, it should be just play, flair. Yeah. So it's not, a, it's not rocket science, you just throw the ball around from one side of the field to the other. And, and that's what spectators come out to watch. They don't want to watch players running in one out two out they'd like to see the backs of the balls the, the forwards go forward then the backs just throw the ball around and and you'd be around to know this so I, I might be wrong but when I look at old footage though 
It's not lots of people throwing the ball around. Like that St. George era where they won about 10 in a row. That looked like the most boring game of football I've ever seen. Because remember, you had no unlimited tackle count. Didn't they just get the forwards to run it, cart it forward for 80 minutes? No, they didn't. No, they threw the ball around. Did they? They had blokes like Well, how come the the scores back then were like (laughs) 7-2? They were low-scoring games. Yeah, a try was only worth three points. Well, it's two tries to one. (laughs) No, there wasn't seven. Two tries to two-thirds. I remember the St George. No, they had blokes like Rhett Gasnier and Raper and Eddie Lums, and they actually played great, pretty good flair. Mm. They were bloody damn hard to beat. They looked like gladiators when they ran on the field compared to the other side. I, to me, as a young kid, they looked gigantic. Dad, I, I've got one story I want um, to finish off this podcast with, and it's one that you tell me. Um, you were a firefighter for many years. And you told me a story where I, th- I can't remember if it's a grand final or an origin and you wanted to watch it and you got called away and it was something about a man in a swimming pool and you desperately needed him. Was he? I can't quite remember the details, but you wanted to get him out of the swimming pool so that you could go back and watch the game. Can you, can you tell me about that story? Are you familiar with it? You're, I'm familiar. I don't know what it's got to do with football. But Weren't you trying to get back and watch a grand yes, final? No, we'll watch a State of Origin match, funny thing. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember the details. So you wanted to get back and watch this Origin match. So what happened? You got called away on a, on a fire call, which does happen. It wasn't really a fire. It was a call to assist police. So, okay. And I said, damn it, the game's on in tw- about 20 minutes. So we, so we turned up at this call and there's a, there's a chap in the pool... And I said to the commander, well, what's going on? He said, we want you to drain the pool. I said, drain the pool? Because I knew we had a Davy pump, which six litres a second. I went, mm, this is going to take a while. To... And I said, what do you want to drain the pool for? He said, we want to get him out. Said, so was this guy going off his nut? Why was he in the pool? He had uh, trashed his mother's place about three doors down. Then for some reason he went up the, up the road and jumped in the swimming pool, ripped all his clothes off. And, uh, oh, so he was naked to he boot. He was naked. He was a well-built bloke. I didn't see the bottom part of him, but the top part was pretty well-built. <laughs> okay, cool. We're talking about pecs here, I think. Yeah, yeah. surrounded by about 40 coppers. They're all around. And, the, and the, the mother of the house with the two children, she was covering their eyes. They were on the next ledge above, looking down. Yeah. And I said to my senior man, I'm not going to drain this pool. I said, I'm going to talk to him. And I'm assuming in the back of your mind, Dad, you're thinking, I'm not draining this pool because State of Origin's on. No, I will because I've worked out the time lapse. Is gonna, and, and the lady's got, she's got to have to replace the water of the pool anyway. It was ridiculous. Anyway, so I, he, he mentioned something about a ghost. So I said, oh, which I knew. There was a ghost down at the Piermont Fire Station. I'll tell you what, this, this story's gone down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Well, yeah, where did a ghost come from? No, proceed, no, please. That's how I got him out. I'm and, invested. And uh, we struck. He struck a chord with him, and he said, "Oh, I like ghosts and all that sort of stuff." And I said, "Well, if you want to come out of that pool, I'll introduce you to the ghost at Piermont Fire Station, which it was supposedly a, tr- a ghost." And there was another story, a long story, I <laughs> yeah. mentioned about that about a certain shift when they come on, they're all quivering and shaking inside the the. Uh, or one room of the fire station because the ghost appeared. <laughs> you know, thank goodness it wasn't a fire. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> when was the onion on your belt? <laughs> <laughs> Bloody onions. Anyway, so I started talking to him about that and he went, oh, okay, that sounds pretty good. I said, well, if you just come out of the out of the pool, mate, I'll, I'll fix you up next week, you know. So he climbed out. 
Well, the unfortunate part, as soon as he climbed out, the coppers jumped him, which I was a bit angry with. Because he'd probably think you betrayed him. Well, you know, that's what I felt like. You know, but he came out straight away. I got him out within five or six minutes. Nice and one. Apparently, he'd been there for two hours. For two hours. And can I tell you, did you take that strategy into future calls? Did you think I can solve everything now by just weird mentions of the paranormal? You, well, you can't sort of uh, analyse fires. You mm. can't, I cannot talk to flames. This is a human being. <laughs> so you've got a building of light. If they, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm no, going to give you a ghost talk story. i building a light. Don't be silly. <laughs> and I tell you, did you get back and watch Origin, uh, the we Origin did. match? That was and good news. Do you remember the year? Do you remember the game? Probably about 91. Thanks, Dad, for coming back on the show. Uh, we really appreciate your time. And uh, what are you going to be doing for the rest of the tonight? I'll be uh, driving home. <laughs> One more beer. <laughs> Got to be careful about the breathalyzer. That's now right. I don't want to lose my license. Thanks for coming on, Dad. See you, folks. Many thanks to Charlie for coming on the show again. And in the interest of allaying everyone's fears, I just want everyone to know that every case of malfeasance against my dad as a firefighter have been dropped. And now it's actually a really special time on the podcast. It's time for our chat with Newcastle legend Robbie O'Davis. Thanks so much, mate, for um, agreeing to come no on the potty, mate. No worries, no worries. Um, mate, I'm, and I'm sorry to tear you away from the Logies as well. I don't know if you've been watching that tonight. The Logies can wait. Okay, fair <laughs> enough, Robbie. Mate, um, look, I'm, I'm really fo- looking forward to having a, a chat with you, mate, and delving into your playing career. Um, but I guess I, I wanted to start off um, with the 1997 Grand Final. I think when I think of Robbie O'Davis, I always think of that moment um, I guess a game that a lot of people sort of view as one of the best grand finals ever. Obviously, you were the, you were the Clive Churchill medal winner. Um, do you reflect on that game as, I guess, your career highlight, Robbie? I mean, how do you view that in the context of your entire career? Well, this podcast is up there, I guess. <laughs> I start with the podcast. <laughs> Actually, before I go indulge anymore... I, yeah, sure. I hit, I hit Eric Rose Jr. up the other day online, and I said, mate, you do this thing called a podcast, and it says at the top all the info in my bio. I said, mate, am I a freaking dinosaur? I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> what's, a bio? what's a bio? I did not know either of them. You don't know what podcast is. I said, mate, I must be a dinosaur. What, what are they? So I only just learned halfway through this week what a podcast was. So, yeah, when you were telling me to come on the podcast, I'm going, yeah, mate, well, what is it like? What's happening? I'm... So I wasn't religious until I found out what it was. So yeah, I'm, I'm all into it now. <laughs> mate, well, look, I'm I'm happy to uh, to oblige, mate, and and I guess uh, bring bring you into the new world of technology. I'm only just getting to grips with it myself, and I host one. But mate, do you want to go back to the '97 Grand Final and you want to talk about technology? Yeah. So this is how much of a dinosaur I am. So we were leaving the um, uh, the workers' club, and I walked down the road, and all the boys were catching taxis, except Joey. Joey was um, on his way to get. Daniel John's out of bed so he can come and entertain us for the day. Yeah. So Joey's gone his way because he, 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 all he kept saying is, we need entertainment at, at the Mad Monday. We need entertainment. We didn't know he was going to go jump on silver chairs, bloody chair, <laughs> on his bed and grab him. But anyway, <laughs> as it turned out, I'm walking along the road and a car's picked up, pulled up beside me, oh, big four-wheel drive. And he goes, mate, Robbie, are you wanted on the Steve's, Garth and Steve show, your, your, your radio show. And I said, mate, look, I'm just having had a sleep. I, I'm full as a state school hat rack. I, I, I can't talk. And it's way out Sandgate, mate. And he goes, no, no, just, just jump on my phone. And he looked at I went, have you got a car phone? This is 1997. Yeah, yeah. Went, have you got a car phone? Are you the richest man in the world? And then he goes, jump in, jump in, ring him. So I get on the phone and I'm talking away to Garth and Steve. And I went, the first thing I said was, I'm on a, I'm on a car phone, boys. 
They said, oh, it's good. We got you loud and clear. That's great. I said, no, you don't, you don't understand. I'm on a car phone, boys. <laughs> and they're going, okay, good, excellent. I said, boys, hey, I'm with the richest man in the world. You know? <laughs> it was the biggest box thing you've ever seen. Oh, was that was a highlight of 97, but obviously the, the game, the week before, the, the run on the field, there's so many documented stories, whether it be Chief telling Matty Johns, He's got a podcast now, I heard. So, Matty um, does, yeah. Very good yeah. one, actually. Um, yeah, so Matty's always blurting out story after story after story. And how he remembers them, I don't know, because I don't think he slept for the whole week. So how he remembers a lot of them stories has got me stuffed. But I think that the ones that really play in my mind are the, the Chiefs' speech the night before the grand final, the Chiefs' speech the, the day of the grand final, the, um, the way he single-handedly took them on you know, in the first 10 minutes of the game and um, put them on the back foot so all us rap dancers could do our do our dance and score the tries and carry on. So I, I lay a lot of him, what he um, started the game with, his, his energy and his violence. <laughs> I remember he had Jeff Toobies. He has Jeff Toobie in one hand and throwing him on the ground and punching Spud Carroll with the other hand. It was just, he was just out of control. Um, and Adam Mule just was building people and, um, you know, and then we had guys like Troy Fletcher that had hair, hair bigger than his body. He come on, he just he created momentum down the field and a couple of big hits that allowed him to score the second try. And, and there was everyone played their role and yeah. played it well. And it wasn't about us at all. And that's the best thing about it. It wasn't about the players. The players went out there and we played for a town. Manly played for a team, and that's what was so special. And that's why we won it. And Mate, to come back and party with the town, opposed to go back and party with the team, is, is pretty pretty special. And and yeah, and the rest of the history because some of the some of the partying stories and some of the photos of the guys partying, it's pretty, pretty bloody good. Absolutely, mate. And uh, some of them have gone down almost uh, in history as bigger events than the game itself. A couple of those post-match well, interviews. Uh, guys getting Joey tattooed on their bodies and stuff. That was, that's pretty good. Before the game, I sort of looked around the stadium. It was a, such a big big part of my life. Um, at that time, you know, first grand final and 40,000 people in the stadium and 39,500 of them were Newcastle people. And uh, the rest of them were probably just my family from Queensland, yeah. the, the Aboriginal side of me. And, um, mate, honestly, I just looked out before the game and I went, geez, that looks slippery. Just The ground just looks slippery. So I had these old sprigs that you have to, you know, the nylon sprigs and you have to yeah. undo them with the, with the tightener. So I grabbed, like, they must have been two-inch, two-inch steel, steel sprigs. And I took these little nylon ones out. Yeah. And whether they're legal or not, I think they're illegal. But, and I just stuck these two-inch bloody sprigs in the bottom of my boot. Yeah. Um, when that f- fight happened, when um, Jeff Tooby got hit around the ears by Chief and Chief was hit in the spot, someone, oh, I think it might have been Cliffy, I, I think it was Sam Nevitt, didn't kick the ball out. So he, I caught it, and it was like five minutes in the match. And he didn't kick the ball out from the penalty, and I caught it. And as I took off, these things dug into the ground. I come to the defensive line, and they dug in the ground, and they shot me out of the ground like a bullet. And I was gone. I was just straight through the line. Yeah. But, but the guy who kicked it was Shannon. He was. Shannon Evan kicked the fullback, so he wasn't there. And I was gone. I was going for a try for all money. But <laughs> unfortunately... Twos that still knocked out in the back play from what Chief done to him. He just happened to stand up and I tripped over him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, I got cranky at Chief. I said, mate, why did you knock him out? You could have just given him a bit of a touch up and just <laughs> not put him back there. Because, mate, the first 
first touch of the game. And Nate Johns says it was the most fantastic touch in the whole game. It just went bang and I was gone. And I put it down to these two-inch sprigs that just shot me out of the ground. And, That's amazing. And then, obviously, yeah, a little, little bit more dancing went on and the, the trolleys were scored and then whatever else happened after that but yeah that, that was that was pretty good that was pretty good that's how that's tough that's how tough Toobs is Robbie he's uh even when he's knocked out he's still a, a menace he's a, even acting as a speed hump I know I, I think I put a couple of them bloody two inch tags in his, under his chin oh no that was Dukes did that that's right sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah that's right that was one of the big moments out of the game as well um, look, Robbie, you, you uh, I guess refer to something before. I think it's really interesting. You know that that '97 Grand Final, in a way, was a little bit bigger than the game, wasn't it, for Newcastle? Given what the town had gone through with BHP, um, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like going back to Newcastle after you'd lifted the trophy? I mean, what was the what was the vibe like? The celebrations? It looked manic. The, the trip down that, that was the one that made us rock stars. So as it, we're heading off in the bus, you know, the people seeing us out of town. I'm, I'm, even the semi-finals, you had, you know, ten thousand people seeing you out of town. By the time the grand final came, uh, there was—I know there's a hundred people. They said back, maybe back Newcastle for that ticket tape parade and stuff. But I guarantee, by the time we got to Walls End, everyone had either doubled around the front of the bus, or the bus was long, just the roads were lined with people. So I reckon a good thirty thousand people by the time we got to the highway. And wow. The reason why we thought we were rock stars was like, we're going along the highway and. Girls on the back of trucks with their tops off, just showing their boobs and stuff. And we obviously sit there just going, mate, if we just, we just come become ACDC, <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> oh, thunderstruck. So wow. we're telling the bus driver to turn around and go, back, forget the game. We're trying to have a good sort. <laughs> Bit of a distraction there, Robbie. It was, it was, mate. That, that made us not, not spill the ball, that's for sure. <laughs> we had extra, extra motivation. And like, we come back into town and the way we... Mate, we come over the, the, the top of the lights and they said, oh, near Marathon Stadium, and they said, um, just jump out, put your bags here, we'll go straight in the workers' club and have a bit of a, bit of a, um, you know, a get-together and invite your parents and everyone, and yeah, rightio. So that, it was apparently the club where someone had already invited all our parents, all our girlfriends, and to be in the club waiting for us when we get there. And the ones that were on the buses with us and all that sort of stuff, they sort of just mingled along with us. So right here, we got off, off the bus and then we put our bags in our cars and we jumped in the bus and then cars, I, I think they stayed there for a month. We didn't go, no, one, no one could bloody sober, get sober enough to drive the cars home for a month. Yeah, but... um, yeah so then we, we just went over and by the time we got into town, it was just, mate, there was the, the horse with the um, night on it led us through the streets and, mate, how someone didn't hit that horse on the ass and make it... <laughs> You know, pig root, and I don't know. It just it led us through. Everyone was so well behaved. It dragged the bus through. The, the bloody the horse spread people apart, and you know we, we just come through. By the time we get there, mate, there was people on top of the bus, on the, in trees, on top of the bus. There was guys p- jumping on cop cars. It was, it was just crazy. And I remember going up on the stage, and as we went up, overlooking on the main street. Um, Chief had this 100 kilo freaking trophy, the big Optus Cup trophy, yeah. hanging out of the edge. And there was like, you know, thousands of people behind him. If he slipped, mate, people are dead. And he's just hanging out of the edge, just shaking the trophy, and the bouncers jumped on top of him and had to pull him back. <laughs> <laughs> mate, that'd um, put a bit yeah. of a dampener on the celebration, wouldn't it? Oh, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Harry can kill three. You can see the Newcastle Herald headline from here. You must have felt a bit like uh, you were no extras in Game of Thrones or something with a horse leading yourself through the main street of Newcastle. How they didn't let that bloody horse 
Um, how did it go, mate? It's long gone now, unfortunately, oh, mate, but like Rocky or something, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, my mate, yeah, that used to walk every horse out um, onto the racetrack in Newcastle. So that was, it, it'd been amongst big crowds before, obviously, on yep. big occasions, so it knew how to hand on, but to actually walk through a crowd and have the opportunity to get hit on the bum by some drunken bloke, <laughs> how did <laughs> yeah. it happen? I don't know, because if that thing goes mad, <laughs> who's going to stop a, you know, one ton horse. <laughs> That's it, mate. And I can only hope the uh, the night mascot, whoever was on top of the horse, was actually a jockey as well and had the, you know, a bit of finesse could control it if it got out of control. He was the same bloke. He used to be the guy that rode all the horses around, um, led the horses around the stage at the, at the track at um at uh, Newcastle Racetrack for you know 50, 40, 30 years. Wow. He's done it forever. So yeah, same bloke, and he always rode this costume out there. On the um, field for us, and he's, he's a bit of a legend, that bloke. Yeah, I bet he's got some stories to tell as well. I might get him on the next episode. Um, Robbie, yeah, you know, um, just back to that 97, the actual game itself. I mean, you scored a double in that one. I always wonder, you know, um, obviously you, you had a blinder. It, when you score a great uh, a try, especially a solo, I mean, do you can you savour those moments, like, actually in the moment, or is it all a bit of a blur? The, the first one was... It was something I dreamt the night before. Um, I, the, the actual, the way it all happened with the, um, with the dance and all that sort of stuff, that, that just come from me watching a movie called The Last Boy Scout and um, Bruce Willis did the Jigger Joy up on the light just when he shot everyone at the end of the movie. So <laughs> I went, oh, I, I like that, Bruce. <laughs> I'm going to do the Jigger Joy and I watched it the night before the game. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, and then the big rollover with the arm was, I, I, that's just a, stupid i've just seen duke's comments so i just done to the yeah baby <laughs> i don't know where that come from but um like the, the first one was terry Hill was in a match the week before the two weeks before i think the way the week off the week before or something and he scored a try and as he scored a try he got dug in the in the right ribs and he was carrying the right rib for the rest of the game and that night i was just I just closed my eyes put me on the pillow and went Jeez, if I get a chance on Terry Hill's right hand side, I'm just going to go bury straight into him and see if see if then ribs are sore. Wow! So from that scrum, I've turned to Matty Johns and I said, "Matty, I need the ball." And he owns it. Him and jo- Joey own that part of the field. Now up close to the line, they just take over. Yeah. And he looked at me and said, "No, no I got it, mate." And I went, "No, jo- just mate, I've got something. I want to do something. Give me the ball. Go and sort to Matty." I said, "Give me the ball. I need the ball, mate." And then he goes, "No, no, I, I got it." So I turned back to Matt, sorry, Andrew, and he's called the ball from the scrum, and the bastards passed it straight to me. So <laughs> I sort of half switched off. So by that time, I'd looked out, and I've already told Owen Craig, if I get it, come under me, sorry. So I actually turned, and as I turned him under, I turned back to dig into Terry's right-hand shoulder um, to see to check the ribs are there. He wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> He'd gone on holidays on the left-hand side of the field somewhere. So when, when I turned back, he wasn't there. I looked at Danny Moore, and Danny Moore was pissed off towards Adam McDougall, and I just started to laugh. And I honestly laughed as I, as I was running towards the line because I didn't know where Danny went. I don't know where, you know, where um, Terry went. I was like, this is easy. And, but the, the funny thing was I laughed because I dreamt about it the night before that. If I had got a chance of his right-hand grip, I'm going to dig into it. And the fact that I, it, it all played out perfectly, and I didn't have to dig into a rib because I think he, he went because 
he knew what he couldn't defend me on that side, I, I think. Maybe maybe Terry Hill had a dream the night before that you were going to stand him up, so he went to the other side of the field or something. You know, it's funny. Well, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have dreamt that I was a big unit coming at him anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually um, I had a bit of a revisit of that try today, um, Robbie, in preparation for our chat, and you're not wrong about Danny Moore. You sold that dummy to him about three minutes before he took it. Well, honestly, if I had to put myself in the same situation, I'd go O'Davis because I wouldn't be trying to take on Ben Dougalins, Brian. <laughs> He's a pretty big man. I wanted to take, take Dougs on. I was sort of thinking 95, State of Origin, my mate, you know, in the Origin Series and the Bloody Bullet Series, I reckon Danny said, I'll just look after you here, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right, mate. Lines, I'll, gi- I'll give you this one. Mate, um, yeah, you know... The second, one, the second one was pretty good. The second one was that, that that's the sort of time you just go, well, what just happened? You walk back to halfway and it's not until you look up on the big screen and you actually see the cameras on yourself, mm. and you go, oh, shit, that's on me. I must have done something good. You don't realise, just put the ball over the line because you've done it so many times since you were a kid. Yeah. Um, probably Caleb Ponga doing a little bit more than I, I've done. <laughs> and, um, mate, honestly, yeah, you just walk back and go, oh, that, that's on me. I must have done something good. Then you realise, oh, shit, they're clapping at me. So, it's, yeah, and then it comes to real, I guess. And that's what I guess what I was getting at, Robbie. Like, just I mean, those individual moments. You must be riding on pure instinct in a way. All of those years of footy and training, you jinked around and beat three or four and just twirled over the line like that. I guess you can only sort of dream of those moments happening. And I, I was wondering if in the moment you could tell just how magical that was, and how many times people over the next twenty years were going to be watching it on replay or not. Well, I probably thought, why didn't I wear two, two inch sprints for all my life? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, mate, no, you know, you don't, you believe it or not, you don't hear the crowd unless you want to hear them. If you go back to, and I was primed for it, I would walk back to um, a kickoff, and before I catch a kickoff, I'd stand there and talk to people behind the line. I'd be going, become popular with the Knights Grannies because I'm the guy that stood back there and always talked to them at the fence and made sure they were all right before I was kicking off when the guys are so. Um, you know, they're so military about what they do these days. Just walk mm. back and wait. They won't turn around and wait to the crowd. And I was, I was into that. I, I was just blessed that I got an opportunity to play um, in front of big crowds. And I also knew that I was paying my wages. So I, I made sure that, you know, I'm always the first one to wave a hand and shake a hand and sign an autograph and wait around after the game. So, um, but you don't hear it. You sort of you get on the field and as you're on the field, you're thinking about your game and you can hear the crowd erupt. As you're playing, you don't. And all of a sudden, there's one voice. There might be one voice in 30,000 people, and you can pick it, and you always know who it is. <laughs> I don't know why. You just always hear that voice. And after game, go, oh, I said I heard. And someone comes up after the game. Oh, yeah, I actually heard you, mate. I heard you out there. That's amazing. But even yeah. in the in the just the roar of 30,000 people, you can actually single out a voice. If you know a voice, mate, you'll, you'll hear it. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny as. Um, but no, you, you take in the, the crowd. When you need to take in the crowd, so if you if you need the motivation, something's going wrong for you, you take it in. If you've done something wrong, yeah. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> well, mate, I mean, clearly you've you're a player that used the crowd to your advantage, and um, you know, interacting with it obviously, you know, it didn't interfere with your game. Maybe other players need that focus or something, but um, yeah, whatever you were doing, mate, you did you did it right, obviously. Yeah, you know, I was, I was lucky for a long time. But I, like I said, I always knew who paid me wages. So the people that come through the gate, they did that, and. Um, you know, we need. Someone actually said to me one day, there's 300 at the time, 320 people in the whole of Australia, I guess, to play professional sport, professional rugby league on TV out of 60 million people. It's it's pretty special, and for that for that 
we, we've we've earned the right to do that. We haven't just gone and just said, oh, this this kid scored a couple of tries yesterday. We're going to put him in first grade. Now we we worked hard to make sure we're there. And I was a small kid in a big big man's game, so I had to work twice as hard. Um, and I was always the first one to train, the last one to leave, sort of thing. So. Um, yeah, just got had to work, you know, lift twice the amount of weights in everyone, and I become the strongest man pound for pound the club for like ten years just for that reason. Um, and then I stay around after and train, and I make sure that Joey kicked me ten bomb, bombs before I'd leave every training room. I did that for fourteen years. So if I, if I didn't catch one, you know, I'd go back to one and start again. So he didn't like it, but he became a good kicker because of it. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, he's a he's a pretty good training buddy to have if you've got Joe in your team. I think um, if you're going to put up any tort bombs, he's probably the best in the business. But I remember getting a phone call from Wayne Bennett one day and said, "We're going to pick you in the Origin side this week. Uh, one because you're a good luck shaft. He said you've won eight out of eleven Origins that you've played in so far. And he said, "Mate, you're actually playing pretty shit football at the moment, but." You're the only person in the comp that can catch Joey's bombs, so I'm going to put, I'm going to put you at fullback in this game, and uh, yeah, you're going to catch Joey's bombs for me. So I end up end up doing that, mate. <laughs> so it all it all paid off for you in the end, in a lot of ways. It did, it did. Mate, um, you know, looking at that game, I, I guess myself, I regard Jeff Turvey as probably one of the toughest guys playing the game I've ever seen. Um, in that GF, in the 97 one, he, he basically got knocked out pretty early in the game and he continued on to lay on a few tries. Um, who were some of the big dangers for you um, in that Manly team in 1997? Was there a couple of guys that were spoken about in particular as dangerous players? Mate, Cliffy was always going to be a danger. He's just yeah. so clever. Even at the age of 78, that is at now. <laughs> he, um, mate, he goes away and plays his old boys' legends matches. He's still untouchable. You can't get him. He, as soon as he, not, not as in the way of um, he's going to dummy and run 100 metres of score. He just goes around, carries the ball in front of him, and as soon as you lay off him for two seconds, he will just put a short ball on anyone's chest and they're gone straight away. If you just run the holes for him, he'll put you through every time. He's just always so dangerous. And he was our main threat. And the person that I think this is why we won the game, um, Jim Sedaris. Yep. Mate, Jim Sedaris, the minute he got put out of the grand final, I, I reckon that gives us a chance. He, he was just, he just couldn't tackle that bloke. He was tough, he wasn't he, Jim Sedaris? Yeah, he got, he got suspended for the grand final, and then they had to sort of reshuffle their pack around, I think, um, if he went hooker. Um, he, well, I think he wore number nine to get match, I think, did he? I think. And, yeah, so, did, did Cliffy wear number nine? I think he did. I, I thought he was playing in the six, but um, yeah, I'm no, trying he, he, I think he stood at six, so he wore number nine. Yeah, you might be that. right, mate. But, yeah, Jim Sedaris, he got pretty out of the game the week before, and, and that was it. And that I think that, that gave us the grand final. Because if he played, um, yeah, he he just was unstoppable. He really was. He, he'd never get tackled. He'd stand there and right at the last minute, he'd pop the ball out the back and just put you on the back foot straight away. Mate, they had Big Hopper in his prime hanging down the wing and had a bit of a scuffle with him. But, um, mate, Shannon never was so quick. And then they had good centres. Danny Moore, don't know what he was doing half the time, but he was a, <laughs> he was a Australian player. Um, he was falling for your then, dummies, Robbie, is what he was doing. He was, he was. And then you got... <laughs> Mate, guys like Smith Gillespie that, you know, just, I, I think he knocked me into, you know, second row just in, of the grandstand in one of my runs and he just hit me so hard and when you got hit by him, you stay hitting and pull your ribcage out of the arsehole sort of thing. So, <laughs> mate, they had big tough asses and I think we're just a little bit tougher on the day and just, mate, we, we had six and seven. Any side with that six and seven in, it's going to get pretty bloody good. So, um, and mate, that, the two Jones boys, they're in their prime. You couldn't get any better players 
in the comp than the two Johnsies. And, mate, I talk about it all the time, these 30-metre passes that they chuck to each other. And they hit these, what you call the tram lines, like the, you know, the last 10% of the field. And to get the ball out to the last 10% of the field where the, the quick men are, like, you know, let's mention a tomato toe or down Albert or something like that. Yeah. To get the ball in their hands really, really early. I mention the two Johns boys with Jesse Ramian. Mate, I know. Get the just get ball in Jesse Ramian's hands or this Kalen Ponga hit the tram lines, this little ten percent of the field. Mate, they're gone. They're, people just can't slide across. You see how, how good Billy Slater was getting that tram line. Yeah, mate, absolutely. Guys that, are, guys that have got mega mega speed, when you get the ball in the tram lines too quickly, they're gone. You can't you just can't it's undefendable. And mate, only because only because the guys hit up the middle, they hit up the middle all the time. And as they hit up the middle, everyone sucks into the middle because of the big bash and barge is going on. And as soon as they suck in about 30 metres from the sideline, this is what I'm talking about. This is when these guys hit 30 metre passes like the two Johns boys really, really quickly. And then you just can't – these quick guys are just gone. You can't turn, turn and get them. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, you can't really replace that. I mean, I always remember um, Newcastle being rated number one at being able to shift the ball laterally faster than any other team. And obviously the Definitely. Johns are a massive part of it. But you, you were also a team that could uh, chain pass quicker than – any team in the comp as well. Was that something that you guys practised a lot, the idea of just catch and pass? I remember that ball used to get from the left wing to the right wing in about a second. Mate, I, I know the two Johns boys are, are white fellas, but we we formed this black line, which, um, you know, with Grogan, Craigie, Jason Moody, myself, mate, there was a lot of, you know, Aboriginal kids in the back line. And by having that little black line there, we were playing a lot of, like Aboriginal touch football at training and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. the Johns boys is such such a high school rate. And you know, if you ever been to an Aboriginal knockout, most of them they don't even get tackled. It's just like they just <laughs> offload, offload, offload. So we become doing a little bit of this. We done this thing in, in Fiji a couple of years earlier when we went over there and promoted um, our sport in Fiji. And Christ look where that's gone now with Fijians. I know. And um, they play a game over there called one touch and that's their touch football. There's not six touches and, and you change over. It's one touch. If you get touched, it's the other size of the ball. And it makes them really, really high skillful. So we go over there. There's myself, um, the two Johns boys. That was me, Matty Johns, and, and Big Sarge, um, Mark Sarge. We're going around the schools, educating them. And we started playing one touch. And myself and Matty Johns, we were just brilliant at it, obviously, because we're into that sort of you know touch football scene. But Big Sarge, I don't know what they... <laughs> what that swear word lingo is over there for he's hopeless he's silly he can't, <laughs> mate he, they were swearing at him in their lingo but he just kept smiling at him <laughs> he, he thinks he would get they'll give him a rap but I think they would, they, yeah, he wasn't that good at the one touch and we, we brought that back to Australia and not only brought that back we brought a lot of players back as well um, the Fijians just oh mate there was about four or four Fijians actually come back to the Newcastle Knights side just as trialists at the time um, no one ever went on with, with us but I think a couple went to Canberra Raiders and stuff like that. Um, obviously, the, the Noah Nandrukus and guys like that, they become you know, household names. Um, who's the other bloody, the other winger for Canberra Raiders? Ken, Ken Nagus. Ken Nagus, yeah. So, guys like that, they come back and um, they were just freaks of the game. So, we come back and started playing this one touch and, and that made us a very high skills back line. I think that this sort of helped us out. Um, and then, once again, I talked about in the tram lines, you had guys like Mark Hughes that were just straight runners, um, runner speed, just hitting in tram lines with them. So they didn't have the ma- massive amount of skill that the Johns boys had and all that sort of stuff. Or Darren Hell, it wasn't massive amount of skill. He was just mega, mega quick and never dropped the ball. Um, <laughs> and 
And the same with Hughes, Mega Mega Quick didn't drop the ball. So yeah, um, yeah. So a bit of mystery of everything, but I think that the high skill level just come from that one time we were over and learn how to play touch, and then the Aboriginals in the back line. So and we actually with Leo Denver then we're actually we we, we call the uh, black line at one stage. I wow. Think. Um, yeah, so it was, it was pretty special. I tell you what, there's a name I haven't heard in a while, but I used to love Leo Denver. Yeah, he had so much skill about him. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I guess his name hasn't endured as much as you guys. But gee, gee whiz, he was talented, that guy. Mate, I, um, I just heard from him yesterday. I haven't heard him for a long time, believe it or not. Really? What's the coincidence? He rang up and get done the big, hey, brother, you got some tickets for me for the game? <laughs> 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 trying, to, trying to bump some bicycles on me. That's what he's doing. <laughs> Love, love oh, good to know he's still around and he's doing well. Mate, um, I, I don't want to harp on the game. I want to move on to a few other little things. But yeah. I, I did want to talk about the moment in the 97 grand final, obviously, the, the final pass from Joey to Darren Albert. Can you walk me through a little bit of that? What, where were you on the field and what was going through your mind? Did you think that going the blind side was a good move? That Obviously, Joey ran there and then he, he faked back the other way. Did you think this was going to be the moment? I'd just, done, I'd just done a kick chase down and I hit someone and I'd done my shoulder and I went off the field. And as I was walking off the field, um, they were, they'd come back to take them towards us. It was about you know, a minute to go. And as they were coming back to take them towards us, I went to walk off and then I, I seen we had the ball again. And I went, oh, hang on, I'm right, I'm right now. So I ran back straight back <laughs> out there. And as I ran back out there, was just enough time to see Joey nick off down the blind side. Um, and then, but, you know, I... The way I play, I, I tend to think, and I still look at it now, the way I play, that's where I would have been. I would have been right over there trying to get the ball off one of these two guys or be really, really close around the ball, but because I nicked off the field, um, you know, in turn, it all happened so bloody quickly. So Albie was there. and The thing that got me most about Albie is he's that quick that he had actually played the ball and he looked and he, he looked away. He didn't even know where Joe had gone. And he looked back and he was that quick to react and get – and catch the bloody thing on his chest and score the trolley. It's just, um, there's a million things that could have happened in that last five minutes. So I think Lee Jackson made a poor decision to run from dummy half a couple of times when he could give the ball early, just early to Chief and pump it up and just get closer to the field goal and make it easier for us. And yep. Lee kept on jumping out and trying to beat the marker every time by jumping inside him and pass the ball to him. I remember Chief just getting this look that he's going to kill him at least if he kept doing it. <laughs> and then we weren't, meant to win by one point. Like, the ball hit the post for a reason. When when Matty John's ball hit the post, we just weren't meant to. We were just meant to jam up their ass. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's so nice. We're, we're just because it'd been such such a, oh, I don't know, such a build-up. Everyone was down there, you know, these guys were unbeatable, all that sort of stuff. It was just, we couldn't beat these guys for so long. And we weren't, we weren't meant to just win by field goal. Field goal would have been boring. Oh, you won by one point. Good on you, mate. Yeah. So it meant to be like, let's just jam out their arsehole. <laughs> so it just, it, and it, it was. It was a try that just broke the heart. And it broke the heart forever. Not Every time you see a Manly supporter, they don't talk about the grand final they won by 50 points. <laughs> they talk about the one they lost against, you know, Newcastle Knights when they got their heart break by Darren Elvin. 100%. And they honestly do, mate. Mate. And all the players talk about it too. But my best mates in the world respect us that much that I've got Cliffy Lyons, John Hoppawati, Shannon Nevin, mate Danny Moore. I talk to these guys on a regular weekly basis um, just because they, they, they just respect us that much and we respect them. It was just that one one occasion that we're just two fighters end of the ring and 
we fought, we come out with, you know, had to have a winner, had to have a loser, but we, we fought hard. And sometimes you get that, don't you, Robbie, in, in great games. I mean, that is just burned into the memory of so many NRL fans who just enjoyed the contest, who might not even be supporters of Newcastle or Manly, but you've just created a moment in time, haven't you? Like, it's an iconic match. So everyone involved probably can hang their hat on that, uh, even on if you're a winner or a loser. Well, it's it's going to go down forever. That's one of the best grand finals. It, uh, it doesn't go any better. I think Darren Albert didn't even have a girlfriend in his whole life till he scored that try. So, <laughs> and now he's now still dining out on it. <laughs> yeah, he is. No, he's married. Has two beautiful kids now. But at the same time, I'm just going. Listen, um, we talk about, and everyone goes, "Oh, Darren, have you scored the last try?" And I scored the other. Hey, guys, guys, hey, I, I scored the other two. Hey, no one, no, no one, no one remembers who scored the other freaking two tries. That can't take it. <laughs> hey, hey, guys, Clive Churchill, Clive Churchill, Robbie, Robbie O'Davis. <laughs> Mate, every grand final day. I do this boat cruise um, with Nick Livermore on, on the Denny oh, the dynamic marketing um, boat cruise around, and then you go into the um, the ground and you host a box and just with the old players and you go from box to box and you have a few beers and you sort of watch the grand final as much as you can while you're hosting all these um, corporate boxes. And I took me, me uh, Clive Churchill medal down a couple of years ago. Yep. And I put it in my pocket and... Oh mate, was a common. Oh, it was a Frankie Barrett actually. Frankie Barrett was commentating on the microphone and talking. And he asked me a question, and he goes, "Or oh, um, <clears throat> mate, these grand finals." He started asking questions about who's going to win the grand final today and all that sort of stuff. And I said, "Mate, these bloody grand finals are hard to come by. You know, these bloody grand final rings hard to come by." And obviously, a young man called Nathan, <laughs> Nathan, um, <laughs> what's his name, Fletch and Heine, Nathan Heine. Yeah, Nathan Heine. Yep. Heine was standing in the, in the room at the same time. I was saying, mate, these bloody grand finals, they're hard to come by. You know, these grand final rings, they're hard to come by. <laughs> mate. And I went, actually, no, they're not. Look, I got one on my finger and I had a grand final ring on my finger. I said, you see this, Heine? Yeah, yeah, piss off, O'Davis. Eh, and then I said, mate, and strangely enough, the Clive Churchill's, they're really hard to come by. And then I pulled it out of my pocket and I said, oh, no, they're not. Look at this one, Heine. Got one here too. <laughs> so, and, mate, he looked at me and Heine and I just yells across the room and goes, what the hell have you got a Clive Churchill? You I said, I don't want to pay for any piss tonight and I want to get free entry in every nightclub in Sydney. What do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> but it was the best thing I've done because a lot of people hadn't seen it before. Um, and just to have that in my pocket, mate, everyone on that boat got to come and view the Clive Churchill and come to see the grand final ring. So it was, it was probably the best thing I've done. So I, I do that every night. If it was me, I would have it constantly in my wallet wherever I went. Oh, I don't, it wouldn't be one day a year. It would be 365 days a year. <laughs> Mate, I went and got engraved out at um, Wall's End, and the man that owns the engraving shop at Wall's End, I was <laughs> doing, mate, listen, can you just put my name on this medal here? He goes, oh, mate, just, what, what, just your name or you want? I said, oh, yeah, just just put my name on, it'll be good, thanks, mate. And he goes, yeah, 22, I said, oh, okay, no worries, buddy. And I turned around and <laughs> mate, oh, I said, he's going to charge me to get... Freaking Clive Churchill, Medley Grades, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. Mate, that is, that is, if there's if ever been pro bono work, it's that one. That should be free for sure. <laughs> I think so. I think so too, Bastard. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Mate, um, just, I guess, on your career in general, were you always going to be a footy player? How did you get involved in rugby league? Yeah, mate, I always. I started at soccer. I think if you're going to ask a lot of football players, uh, rugby league players, um, where they started, they all started with soccer. Hand-eye coordination is a big thing. Yeah. Um, and then the, that's the bravery thing is and learning how to play as a team. So 
Soccer's a really good thing because the bravery side of it becomes the kick in the shins. <laughs> the yeah. pedal wasn't, wasn't so thick when we were kids. Um, you used to cop one of the shins and you wouldn't be able to walk for three days. So, um, you know, I, I'm going really good at soccer, actually. So I think whether it's just the speed, I'm not sure. I was always quick. Um, and then by the time I got um, to under-12s, I was in the under-12 Queensland touring side. Um, who we had there, we had a guy called Craig Polamana was my centre. I was a 5'8". Oh, wow. We had a guy guy called Clint Robinson that won the pedalling for Australia um, in the, oh, he's a kayak paddler, I think, Clint, Rob, Clint Robinson. He won gold medals for Australia in, in the Olympics. So he was my second roller. So we had a couple of... Pretty good pedigree. Bigger and better things, yeah. Um, and then, mate, I, I think under 12s, I, um, yeah, under 12s, I think I scored these six tries in one match and... The, game, the actual game was won by 36 to 6, and I was a goal kicker as well. So I got the whole six tries, six goals. <laughs> Bagged every point. Yeah, but it, was, it wasn't, wasn't just about the score and the tries. It was just the way they were done, I think. And, and after that, you know, that's when everyone started knocking on my door <laughs> at the age of 12 going, well, you just double-chip someone, right? You know, tip the first line, then I tip the fullback, and just stuff like that. I was just, just doing stuff that... You know, it was probably meant for adults, not for little kids. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so then I started getting noticed where the word going. I was a Australian touch player um, at the age of 15, and um, Australian touch captain, actually, at the age of 15 as well. And then I, in the country towns of Toowoomba, where I, where I grew up, you'd go away and work, and every weekend, uh, every week, you'd have, you know, 10, 10 guys at training for the first grade team. And my dad was the captain coach of Newtown Lions in Toowoomba. They had the same outfit as the Newtown Jets. And he would just say, hey, Robbie, just jump, jump in the wing for us. And I did that since I was 10 years old. So I'd always fill in the numbers on the wing for the first grade side. So by the time I got the age 15 and I actually playing for Australia, you know, I was a little little 5'8 for rugby league, um, dad just said, oh, why don't we give young Robbie go in first grade on the wing in this trial match? And so, at the age of 15, I was on the wing and um, I was playing first grade against Brisbane North and uh, I was playing for Newtown in the Newtown Night Trials in Toowoomba. And then um, we sort of got through that game, just as a t- done a couple of touches. It's a kid that didn't get involved too much. By halftime, I went into halfback and I was doing chips and carrying on and, <laughs> you know, trying to take over. But I, um, yeah, I was just a really, really little kid in a, in a, you know, in a man's game. Um, then after that, they said, oh, you're under 16 this week. Good, good trial. Go back under 16. And little smart-ass kid I was, I said, no, no, whoa, I'm, I'm a first grader now. <laughs> go back and play under 16s, mate. So Valleys across the road, um, the other side of Toowoomba, they rang up and said, um, there's a little article written in the paper about how I'm going back to 16s and there's a big article in the paper written the week before saying how I could what sort of bloody dad could let his 15-year-old son play in the first grade side and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, right. Um, so there was a bigger article before, but the team on the other side of Count Valley, they said, oh, we'll take you as a first grader. Really? Yeah, we'll sign you and your father. So wow. they got signed on the other side of town. So we ended up playing together um, against East in Brisbane, and that was coached by Johnny Lang. So we had a trial match a week later, week later playing for a different side, and dad was the front rower and I was the, um, the 5'8". I just went straight to 5'8". No knock around down the wing no more, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll control right this now. team. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Johnny Lang brought his east suburb side down. And um, in that game, I think the score ended up similar to the one I just mentioned. It was about 36-6 or 30-6 to or something. 
and I scored the only try and kick the only goal for the team that our team, and obviously the Brisbane team's going to flog it. Um, Tournament team any day, and Johnny Lang just walked up to me after that and said, "Mate, you coming to Brisbane?" So wow. I went from one side of town to the other side of town to Brisbane. So I went and bought a um, a posty bike for fifty bucks, <laughs> and I rode it to to Brisbane twice a week um, to train. And um, mate, I'd stand there in the huddle sometimes, and I was playing first grade. I just turned sixteen, and I, I was playing first grade in Brisbane with Johnny Lang at the age of sixteen. Um, but Johnny would look at me at training and he'd be talking the whole team and he'd be looking at me and I, and I, was, I was just staring at him really hard trying to trying to read his lips and he'd look at me all the time and go, are you okay, mate? And I was, what? He goes, well, are you okay? You're just staring at me. What, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, mate, that bloody posty bike, I'm riding all the way from Twombly, it's only got one gear and all I could hear was me. <laughs> that was just ringing in my ears every night. And I just couldn't hear John. So you would, you'd have deafened you by the time you got to the game. Oh, I know it was bloody dreadful. But we um, ended up playing my first game of first grade in um in Brisbane at the age of sixteen, and um, I scored two tries, and and um, that was against uh, Brisbane North in a proper match, not a try match this time, and um, I scored two tries at man and match in that game, and. Newcastle Knights were playing the Brisbane Broncos on the Sunday and we played at Lang Park on the Saturday and all the Knights boys and all the Broncos boys were there watching me in that game and um, not the players, the actual officials. Yep. And the next morning, oh, they actually the Knights walked straight up to me as soon as I finished the game and they just said, oh, you want to come over to South Bank and, and talk to us about a contract? And I went over the road seeing the big men like the Harrigans and the bloody Sargents and stuff and said, mate, I want to sign with these blokes. So I just, I signed my life away and, um, the next morning, Brisbane Broncos, where I wanted to be, said, oh, listen, we've got an offer for you. And I said, I'm gone. I've already gone with the noise. Oh, shit. So, um, yeah, obviously being a Queensland, I wanted to, wanted to start there for the Bronx. But I just signed, signed the noise. They'd come off the first contract and I took it and ran. Wow. So the Broncos nearly had your signature. So it could have been an entirely different career. Did you ever look back and think about what life might have been like if you'd played for the Bronx? I just missed Wally Lewis with the Bronx. He'd gone to Gold Coast, so that would have, that would have been good. I, playing with Wally Lewis would have been great. As it turned out, I made the last ever tackle on Wally Lewis in his whole in his whole life, in his whole career. <laughs> That's so, a pretty good claim to fame, actually. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, so that, that was that was good that it happened out that way because I got to play against Wally. And I got to play against Bowman and all those guys. So, um, uh, Wally was the reason. Wally was the reason why any kid would want to play for Broncos. Um, but so when, when Wally left there, there was all the Bronx. You still love them, but just Wally wasn't there no more. So you yeah. have to l- love new people. And then all of a sudden, there's Alfie. Oh, jeez, look at this guy go. So the Broncos become Alfie. And then the Broncos become Steve Renoff. Then, mate, Glenn Lazarus. And then, then there's just a million guys that come through that, that era that were just played brilliant when they kept on winning grand finals. But prior to that, it was pretty much just, you'd see the guys playing the origin, like the Gene Miles and all that sort of stuff, Colin Scotts, but it was just Wally. You'd just be watching Wally, waiting for Wally to do something. And when you look back at some of the games Wally played, Wally was sometimes shit out. <laughs> but in the big games, he would just tear, tear guys apart. Any big game, he was just he would just tear teams apart. But just on a weekly week basis, you watch Hollis and Broncos, you think, he sends him does freaking nothing. <laughs> 
But then again, the, the good players do, do do nothing. They they still suck, I guess. Yeah. Mate, you're 100% right. I've I've um, sort of noticed that myself. I, I even like sometimes in State of Origins, obviously Wally Lewis ruled that as a cauldron and they're huge games. But there were just times where I think just his presence, like he didn't need to even uh, get his hands on the ball. It was the presence of him being near the ruck that kind of made the difference. It was he was a very unusual player like that. Yeah, mate, he's a solid unit too. He wasn't a small man. Wally's a really, really solid unit. But yeah, no, people just hang off the, the good players for some reason. Like they give them that, that little bit of respect. You shouldn't. You get up and knock them out. Yeah. And in this modern day, you see these guys that try to gain the same respect. Um, like Cooper Cronk's a really good example. He's he's a sort of bloke that need to be treated with the same respect as Wally Lewis is and make him give himself time and all that. And he used to do that really, really well. Mm. But now they're not respecting him anymore. They just run out and just freaking knock and hit him hard. And he's, you know, he's, and he's starting to ask the questions. <laughs> What's happening to my respect? <laughs> and maybe that should have happened to these guys years ago. Maybe these guys that stood up there and ball played and, you know, got treated respectfully, maybe they should have been held up a little bit easier too. But but still, at the end of the day, these guys like Cooper Cronk and that, they get up and they still play the game and, and win the bastard for their team. So, yeah, that's but right. Just, the, the good players just... Way, way ahead of everyone else, and they talk about the big money they get and all that sort of stuff. They warrant it every day of the week. They, they do so much for the, the club and they do so much for the game. Hundred percent, mate. And and look, I, I, you're an interesting player as well, Rob, because I guess you've, in a way you've done it all in rugby league. You had did two grand final wins. You've, you've won Origin series. You've played for Australia. I'm just wondering, is there any particular achievement in there that you kind of hold higher than anything else? You know, dad, playing with dad was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Only because it was in front of our home crowd and um, we had a move that involved me and him, you know, the, the little the half that comes around the 5'8 and then he shows and steps one inside and then pass it off his hip to the big fella coming through the middle, sort of thing. Yeah, and right. As, as the game started, Dad sort of went up and for some reason, front row, big front row, he decides he's allowed to take the taps because he's, he's the captain. He can do whatever he wants. He starts to call and take the goal, kicks if he wants, but... He takes the taps. Not the hooker takes the caps and he runs onto it. Yep. I'm going to take the tap. So he sort of went up to get, take the tap and he just, as he's walking up, he goes, mate, stay on the blind side. Just turn the left-hand side of me. I'm going to tap it. And just as I go hit the line, I'm going to pop it short. Mate, they, they wouldn't even expect that. So I said, oh, good idea, mate. Good, good <laughs> idea. Not, not five, stand out where a 5 should be. Just come around the back of me and stand on the blind side near the wing. Yeah, mate, no problem. So, good idea. So anyway, Dad just tapped it and just stood there, put the ball under his arm and stood there. And this was against East, like Johnny Langston, and they ran and they all sort of stopped wondering what he was doing and then they took off again and Dad turned around and just gave it to me, just handed the ball straight to me and they just decked me. So he came and tapped me on the head and went, welcome to first grade, son. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that, was, yeah, that was my first touch in that game. Mate, so, so did, I take it you and your old man never dusted that move off again after that? <laughs> No, so that, that move never happened again. But <laughs> 20 minutes later, where, when his bum was hanging out, you know, a big, he was a 130 kilo forward front roller. Yeah. And, um, mate, shadow player for the first ever state of origin, dad, played for Queensland Country. He was, he was a good old player, so. Yeah. Um, I've, I've called, looked around for him, and we're 10 minutes out from the line, and I've seen him right, right over the other side of the field, his hands on hips, and sort of bending over a bit, sucking the wind in. And I went, oh, look at this. Double, 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 double was a move. Double, double, the big fella, get over here. And his <laughs> eyes pricked up and away he went. He sprinted 60 metres across the field to get ready for this move. So anyway, the little halfback double around me. As I took a step forward, the big gap opened because one guy chased him, one guy chased me. 
And as the big gap opened, I just went to flick the ball off me hip to Dad. And Dad sort of ran straight through the gap. I pulled the ball back out of his hand. I didn't give it to him. Flicked it over the winger and the winger scored in the corner. And then I turned to Dad, which was actually standing over the try line, untouched. And he sort of looked at me, shaking his head. And I said, mate, I'll be in first grade for a long, long time yet, buddy. <laughs> and just walked walk back, walk back to halfway. So I ended up getting him back. <laughs> That's great, mate. Mate, I read uh, only a couple of years ago, um, I was reading an article that you'd, you'd made a rugby league cutback um, for the Magpies. Is that right? You made a... I did. Yeah. How, how did that go? Mate, that happened with a, with a thousand beers up my guts. So <laughs> I was just sitting there with my brother and I said, you know what, I've played football with Dad, but I've never played football with you. He goes, you haven't. I said, well, I'm still able-bodied. Like, should give it a crack. And he was playing for um, playing for Gloucester at the time. So he goes, well, come, come sign up for a game at Gloucester. I said, yeah, bloody hell, I will. Like I said, well, had a gut full of beer. And yeah, no worries. So I got online and register me. So <laughs> we register. But the next morning, I didn't. I just didn't even know it happened. <laughs> so the next morning, the Matty John show rings up. You just read <laughs> Tell us about it. I said, what have I done? So anyway, um, Matty Johns makes it national news. So instead of just slipping out the gloss for one bloody game, yep. I've, uh, I'm now on the Matty Johns show and made it national news. So um, I go up there for a whole bloody season, don't I? So I was out there and, mate, I was, it, it was fun playing with my brother. It was fun playing with blokes and, and mate, just sitting in the dressing rooms and, Listen and smell the liniment and listen to the boys talk. And you know, yeah. in our game, because we're all professional about the way we go it, we are about um, where we have to be at certain parts at the time, you know, the moves about this, you know, what's going to happen at this stage, um, just earn the right to play football, all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, in, the, in the dressing rooms of local games, mate, it's about whose head they're going to rip off and, and who's, who's cheating on whose wife. And it's, just, mate, it's just bloody crazy <laughs> stuff. And you're sitting there going, jeez, this it is really happening. But then there's this moment of silence when they all turn their head to you <laughs> and just wait for your motivational speech. <laughs> and you've got, you've got nothing because you're overawed by their speeches. Like, yeah. You just feel like saying, um, listen, guys, I just want to let you know that I've never touched any of your wives. <laughs> just give that sort of speech rather than who's going to win and who's going to, just in case I'm not here. Oh, my I, God. I enjoyed that side of it. I love the side. I love the little liniment. I love the, the yarns and the beers yeah. after the game and all that sort of stuff. But this, this disrespect down the field, uh, you know, the guys that come up and, oh, you got nothing, eh, Davis? And, all, and, and then they hit you in the head after you. It's just, come on, guys. Just, just enjoy the fact I'm out here. That's <laughs> right. And I'm 46 years of age. So that, that was the biggest problem. And I tell them all, oh, I say, okay, so I didn't step around you. They go, you got nothing. Okay, I oh know, mate, I didn't step around you. But I'm 46, you're 20, okay? Get over it. <laughs> so I said, if you still look fit like me when you're 46, mate, awesome. Keep going. <laughs> That's so it. Just, just stuff like that. So I, and I got, I got deterred from it. I ended up absolutely hating, hating the fact I played that year. Um, because I was disrespectful from the other teams. Instead of just enjoying my company, they are disrespecting them. And we're playing third grade. We're not playing for bloody uh, cattle stations. So they should have just yeah. said, oh, it's a third grade game. Let's just play for a nice beer with Robbie after the game where everyone's happy. But when you go back to the pub after the game, all the guys that try to knock you out, they're, they're your best mates. That's <laughs> oh, it. So, sign your shirt, brother. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I won't, mate. And you know what? They're probably just trying to bask in your reflected glory, Robert. You know, because I guess it, you know, if it's third grade, they'd just be kind of, um, I guess, motivated to be on the field with you. Maybe that's just their way of showing it, even though it probably came across as disrespectful. I don't know. But uh, did you did you cross the white stripe too many times? Oh, 
Mate, I only just did it once. I, I ended up um, backing someone up and, and just finishing off what they started. I, I, I put a dinner suit on. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to show up for work. Not, not like in the old days. My work was football. I had to show up for work the next morning. So I put the dinner suit on and made sure I stayed on. <laughs> mate, very nice work. Well, look, absolutely. Kudos for getting back out there, mate, in, in, you know, at 46, yeah. mate. That's um, a testament to obviously you're still in great physical shape. I, I'm I'm in my 30s and I have to say if I went into a first grade or, or third grade field for that matter, I would shatter like a Ming vase. So I'm definitely... <laughs> well, do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not going to do that um mate uh, just um on the current state of things before i let you go um obviously the state of origins going on and you're a proud queenslander did you have any thoughts on i guess who's going to win game three and 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 i guess how do you think queensland fared in game two obviously the score wasn't very flattering where do you reckon they're tracking at at the moment well as we stand now um i think the the origin was lost from queensland's point of view um when caitlin pulled up in this morning so yeah it's um, shocking news isn't it yeah, yeah. So the thing is, and I've mentioned it just on on Caelan Palmer himself. I mentioned it at the start of the year, just on, on a, a big show or something. That someone with glutes that big, the big big base he's got on him. Mm. I, I won't say this in case Caelan's listening. He's going to think <laughs> he's got a fat ass, but he's got a massive, a massive power base, and just to move laterally the way he does, at the same speed he does forward, something's going to give. And I always said, I've never seen someone move laterally mm. sideways and forwards at the same speed with such a big base like that. So something's going to give. And look, the Benji Marshalls and, and this um, uh, Johnson, they're, they're little guys. They're little guys with massive big steps. Yeah. This guy's a big, big-ass kid that's got massive power base there. And something's going to give. And I think he's, I just really think that he's going to end up with real bad ankle damage, real bad calf damage. And... And it's funny because I mentioned his calves, and now that's what went. So, yeah. Um, and all the, all these things with his lower legs are just starting to give in. Like he was in a boot last year as well. So, mate, some look at stepping that powerfully. Something's got to bloody give. It, and that's why everyone's amazed by it. They're all going, mate. No one's ever seen nothing like it before. Yeah, he's a unique runner of the ball, isn't he? And and uh, I, I guess people made some comparisons with Tedesco. He had a bit of a kamikaze running style as well, but he's sort of grown into his body a little bit. Do you think that Ponga might end up, uh, even though he has that unusual style, as you said, and makes him more prone to injuries, that as he gets older, he might sort of um, fill out and grow into his body, or does he need to change his style? Yeah, I, I think it's just... I think he doesn't work too much on his his weights around the leg area because he's got that power base already. Mm. So I think there's a few things down there or otherwise, other way around, or he knows that is a massive power base for him and he's getting where he needs to go. He might be overworking that area. So um, by overworking them areas, he's obviously going to get stressed in his lower back and then mate, the, the injuries are going to happen down below. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Bit. Um, so mate, and we know 99% of injuries is stress. So if he's carrying stress in his body anywhere, He's just going to get them injuries down low. So, and, and the pressure's on him as such a young kid to maybe win this bloody origin match, you know, and come back and still perform it at a high, high level. So, mate, what, what's more stressful than that for a young kid? Uh, and he's making so much of an impact at such a young age. Mate, that's pure stress. So, um, if, and like I said, 99 percent injuries from stress. And if he's stressing like that, mate, things are going to give. Um, mate, yeah, same again. I, I think when they lost Kalen, it's a big comeback from there. So what do they do? They, I don't think Moses Enboy's um, good enough to be an origin fullback. He's good enough to come off the bench and fill in every spot. Yeah. But 
that if they even think twice about putting Darius Boy there, they've got to wake up themselves. That's that would be the worst call he's he's done, unfortunately. Mm. Old Darius, he's, he's one one year past his used by date, old mate. So I think he proved that the other night. He's proved that in the last few games, Darius. Great yeah. player, yeah. But he's just past his used by date. Um, and we talk about that them players that go one year too many. Don't you? you always, you always talk about them, them player that, that does it all the time. I think Terry's done it. Um, but so where do you look? I don't know. If, it's a tough one, isn't it, Robbie? They're talking about potentially putting uh, Milford at the back. How do you see that one as a potential move to have, um, yeah, Milford coming and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, if it, day, he, he was lethal. He was a lethal fullback for Canberra Raiders. Remember, mm. he was just so bloody good. Yeah. But he's also a short fullback. So... Um, short fullbacks don't, yeah, they don't fare too well. I've learned that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, Robbie, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but with short fullbacks, you've got to learn to be taller than maybe other bars on the field. And he hasn't been taller for a long time. So yeah. when he was down in Canberra, he learned to be tall because he was playing fullback week in, week out. I learned to be tall because I was playing fullback. So he's been in the defensive line. His hips are dropped and everything's sort of about getting down low and driving through hard. You know, and big, big defensive lines. So, yeah, to get tall again and catch a ball above people's heads, they, they just do it. Mate, look what bloody that that guy from Manly, that, what's the guy that scored the two, three tries, four tries? Whatever he's tried. Yeah. Devoivich, look what Devoivich done to Ponga. Imagine what he did to freaking a little short bloke. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's a good um, point. Yeah, so, mate, they, it's going to be hard. And they're going home too. So, um, New South Wales are at home now. And, yeah, I, I think as soon as they said Ponga's out, that's, that's how the guy's done. But... I've played in <laughs> Santa Rosa sides that have had no, no about four or five Origin players and the rest of Neville's member. So uh, yep. we still won back with Fatty Bolton, so you never write us off. 100% mate, I, especially when it comes to <laughs> Queensland. As, as a New South Welshman myself, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that you just can never underestimate it. Every now and then they can field a, a really depleted side and then they play like, um, you know, they're possessed. So, yeah, um, yeah so it's origin. It's always it's always going to be tight. I've, I get the feeling this game might be um, a, a, a tighter than people think. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's hope it doesn't rain. That's it, mate. <laughs> we're, well, no, we're no good in the rain. Robbie, mate, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you, man. Um, thanks so much for sparing some time to come on the, the voluntary tackle today. And, um Mate, your insight, actually, it's fascinating just to hear about your career. Um, you know, it's obviously a, a lot of, I'm sure we've just touched the surface on some of the stories. So, you know, if you get a chance down the track, we'd love to have you back on. Mate, if not that, well, I'm sure we'll share a beer in the local pub and we'll knock over some stories with the, uh, with the truth in them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great, mate. We might, we might stress the truth a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> mate, you're a legend. Thanks so much. And um, hopefully we'll chat soon, mate. Mate, thanks. And thanks for inviting me on the podcast. No buddy. worries, buddy. Thank you. A big thanks again to Robbie for coming on the show. Um, I genuinely really enjoyed that chat uh, and hopefully we can do that again soon. Look, that actually brings us to the end of the show. What I've learned from another great podcast uh, at Sports Best Friends, if you haven't heard of them, they do a great thing at the end of their show where they pay it forward, as it were. They let everyone know uh, you know, which podcast they're listening to and, and what they enjoy. Obviously, it goes without saying, if you love your rugby league, check out uh, Sports Best Friends. It, it's an excellent podcast. Uh, another one that I, I quite like is Woody and Slugs. Um, if, you, if you're into your betting, uh, they'll certainly give you the 411 there. Um, and they've just got a good dynamic. I've always enjoyed it. And another one I've got into lately is the Maddie Johns podcast. Um, you know, If you don't like Paul Kent, Maybe not the podcast for you, but uh, very funny, a lot of great anecdotes, and, and Maddie knows how to tell a story better than anyone. So uh, they're my picks 
for this week. Um, and another thing I have to say is uh, if you do like the show, could you please go onto iTunes, um, share the, share it around on Twitter or on social media uh, because it certainly helps us out a lot and you can keep our insanity going. So I don't have a joke prepared or anything. All I want to say is, for the love of God, until next time, Mitchell, please have a good game at Origin. See you next time. <laughs>